Oh, Bretto. What's up, MP? Damo just called. Yeah. He thinks there's going to be 100,000 people at the Wellness Summit. Oh, again? He thinks we're bigger than Michael Jackson, the Rolling Stones, and the Beatles all put together. Damien Christoph has gone completely mad. Did you know he's made eight tons of forage? What? <laughs> and now he wants you and I to help him get rid of it. Oh, Damo. So, look, being the good friends that we are, we've asked him. You've been forced. Well, we've kind of twisted his arm to make him literally give his forage away to 100 lucky Wellness Summit attendees. So if you're ready to enrol for our signature two days of inspiration, education and empowerment and entertainment. What do you mean, MP? Australian Idol winner Wes Carr makes his Wellness Summit debut this year, Bretto. Wes Carr, you'll be guilty. So if you're ready to be entertained, head on over to thewellnesssummit.com and get four value bags of forage muesli or one bag each of paleo, muesli, bircher and porridge when you register. Now, all you need to do is register for this two-for-one special, bring a buddy, bring a friend, bring a family member or a colleague and then choose your forage selection, four muesli or four assorted and get four bags per attendee. That's eight bags per double pass. That's almost 250 bucks of forage for free when you register for the Wellness Summit on August 25-26 at the Collingwood Town Hall in Melbourne. That's 150 serves of breakfast. Almost six months of breakfast just for registering for the Wellness Summit. Well, it's first in best dressed. These 100 tickets are only available until June 18 or until sold out. All the details of this special offer, all the topics, featured speakers and more are over at thewellnesssummit.com. Thanks for making eight tons of forage, Damo. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello there, gorgeous listeners around the world. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we have got an awesome episode today. We are going to be uh, kind of bringing you into the kind of sometimes covert world of the latest research when it comes to natural health options out there. And we sent our Dr. Andrea out there on a uh, fact-finding mission, and she's been at an amazing uh, summit conference, which is Australia's largest health and natural health conference. And it brings in speakers from all over the world. So we've got some very exciting uh, speakers to kind of I guess fill you in on and uh, Andrew certainly met her, her her like fangirl idol and I think that's so exciting because um, we've often referred to this amazing woman and Andrew got to meet her in person and have a chat and uh, we, yeah we'll, we'll talk to you about how this all came out and what sort of things have come out but we're going to start today with our listener question. Um, it actually comes from one of our amazing resetters within our 28 day hormone reset program because this is a question that comes up frequently in our practices uh, particularly when we start to to recommend lifestyle changes or dietary changes. And often uh, this situation comes up and the question comes from Mandy and she's sort of saying, look, I've, you know, I'm changing my diet and lifestyle. I'm making these food improvements. I'm starting to feel great. However, I'm noticing some irritability and some constipation, which is not easing. So Andrew, what do we suggest when someone's making dietary changes and constipation becomes an issue or there's been a chronic history of constipation that we want to try and uh, start to get that bowel function moving? Because 
is obviously the bowel motility is critical to eliminating any sort of byproducts and toxins within the body. It's, it's an essential pathway of elimination. We need to get that bowel moving properly. So what sort of suggestions do we have? Yeah, uh, Mandy, you definitely want your bowels to be moving because like you said, Ash, this is one of our major elimination pathways. Uh, There's a few different things that you can try and we do see this commonly. This is not an uncommon thing when we make dietary and lifestyle changes. So just rest assured that that can happen. Um, But there are a few things that are known to work. First of all, and it might seem overly simplistic, but you know, we love those things too, is just increasing your hydration. So really up your water, um, adding some lemon juice to your water so you're really maximizing on that hydration as well is really good. Uh, Adding some prebiotics and we know that that can really help to rebalance things um, and rebalance the bugs that are usually related to constipation as well. Um, I love using either digestive enzymes or ginger because it's been shown to really help with that peristalsic action. So that motion in the bowel that helps with elimination too. Um, bowel massage as well. So working through all of those sorts of things, increasing your fiber um, is I think just a no brainer. So making sure you're having plenty of fruits and veggies and that you're chewing them really well, because you know obviously the digestive system starts in your mouth. Um, so making sure that you're breaking that down at that stage. Um, so Mandy, try those things first. Ash, what else would you add to that list? No, look, that covers it big time. I think that um, what a lot of people don't realize is that they may have been experiencing, you know, a history of loose bowel motions or, you know, um, sporadic intermittent bowel changes between, you know, constipation and loose bowel motions. And a lot of the time they don't realize that's because they've got a high degree of inflammation within the gut. Um, And so because of those inflammatory processes, you can actually have loose bowel motions. And as soon as you start to do things that start to heal the gut lining and that mucosal lining, um, the inflammatory mediators are starting to reduce. And so in many ways, there's a lot of change going on within the gut. So the way in which it resorbs fluids and things like that um, changes. And that can be part of the why in the beginning, you can actually, you know, sort of flip towards constipation. Yet it's counterintuitive because you kind of think, well, hang on, as I'm improving my lifestyle, why does that seem to be getting worse? So definitely use all those um I guess tips and advice is first. Um, sometimes, you know, like things like there's been a little bit of evidence about aloe vera um, as, you know, a great, um, yeah. you know, yeah. protector of the gut wall. So that can improve uh, the the healing process within the gut, which can bring back that normal bowel function faster. Um, however, it really comes down to just making sure you stick out the eliminations that you're going through, particularly when it comes to food eliminations. If you're getting off things that are um, irritable, you know, and allergenic, then, yeah, just give your body some time for healing because just, you know, flipping foods for a week or two is not going to suddenly heal, um, you know, years' worth of, of injury to the gut wall. So be patient with that. But, of course, you know, hydration, so at least – you know, if you are getting a buildup of toxins in the bowel movements, so, in, you know, in the feces, uh, at least you've got other pathways of elimination. A lot of people don't realise that 30% of elimination comes through the skin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you get a little bit sweaty, do a little bit of exercise, um, because you're drinking lots of water, your body can still remove toxins via the skin, uh, and it does so as well through the breath. So, you know, really good breathing practices, deep breathing practices can help to improve elimination of uh, toxins as well. So it's not just, you know, the bowel movements that eliminate toxins. You've got skin and breathing and um, and pee. So, yeah, so there's other there's other ways of getting, you know, the, the bad stuff out. Yeah. So if yeah. we can help the other pathways, you know, we can assist in that interim while the body's healing. 
And don't forget, you know, simple things like magnesium can be really helpful as well. And there are some herbal versions of laxatives too. Mm. Um, I tend to find though that women will get rebound constipation following yeah. that sort of stuff. And yep. particularly if they use something like senna tea or magnesium oxide or something, it can give them that rebound constipation. So although it might give them that complete elimination, they'll feel, you know, great with a nice flat tummy for, you know, a day or two, then the rebound effects may not be worth it. Awesome. So that should cover that is- it for Mandy. I think that'll give her lots of lots of tips. So Mandy, hopefully if you know you listen to this, you can see that there's lots of options out there for you. Um, and ladies who are also suffering with this, take on board some of that stuff for today. And yeah, that's our listener question for today. So let's move on because I'm so excited to talk to you about uh, all the things you learned when we talk about you know the emerging uh, emerging research out there there is such a magnificent push towards integrative medicine now and that is just so exciting and this is that that zone where we're starting to use the benefits of what we generally refer to as eastern medicine um, natural therapies uh, non-pharmacological intervention and blending that in with you know necessary and appropriate pharmacological logical use. So I think, you know, to go to a summit like this and start to see how top researchers and top doctors, professors, PhD experts out there are utilizing um, natural medicine is really exciting. So Andrea, tell us, you know, <laughs> give us the inside scoop. What uh, what was like the highlight for you? Um, okay, let me let me just backtrack and give you a little bit of context. So, um, <laughs> ladies, I spent the weekend um, in Melbourne at the International Congress on Natural Medicine, and this year's topic was functional endocrinology. So it was all about hormones. So of course I had to be there. There was there was no other option. I had to be there, um, and it was a pretty awesome speaker lineup, which was also a really big draw card. So like Dr. Ash referred to, there was Dr. Sarah Gottfried there, um, and. She is definitely, um, I'm a pretty big fangirl of uh, Sarah Gottfried. Um, this is who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> um, and But, you know, there were some other absolutely amazing speakers as well. Like, And I really want you guys to go and check out some of their work as well. So there was like Dr. Tamla Dempsey, um, uh, Dr. Michael Stone from the Institute of Functional Medicine, Dr. Pamela Peakey. You know, these guys were all awesome. And that's just, you know, three of them. Um, and there was, the lineup was pretty awesome. So that was great. Uh, And the thing that I really took away from the weekend is that we don't ever go there and they say, oh, you know, everyone should be taking magnesium or something ridiculous like that. It's it's just presenting really profound, very up-to-date and recent research um, showing us how to essentially work with our patients even better which is pretty cool. Um, there's lots of things that I'm still kind of reconciling in my head um, about some of the latest research that's come out about certain things, but we'll go into that in a little while. Uh, but I definitely wanted to give you a bit of a quick little summary of some of the interesting things that came up. And we're going to tease that information out over other podcasts because there's definitely topics that we need to cover based on new research that's coming out. Um, but today, let's just riff on, on some of the things that we learned. Um, I also got a photo with Sarah Gottfried. Um, we're besties now. <laughs> no, not really. Um, and funnily enough, uh, I was more nervous asking her for a photo and meeting her than I, what I was uh, adjusting Justin Bieber. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, anyway. <laughs> right. So I want to dive into some of the really interesting stuff that came up and the informa- there was so much information, but there's a few things I want to touch on and some of it's a little bit sobering. So, you know, just bear with me. Um, 
really interestingly enough, um, just going to men's health really quickly, I didn't realize, but one in 20 men are infertile. Um, that I was, you know, pretty aware of, but one in five have erectile dysfunction as well. Mm. So our poor guys are being, you know, one in five, that's 20% of our men are definitely being left behind when it comes to these sorts of things. And, uh, you know, we know in the medical world that the answers to that is usually, you know, the little blue pills like Viagra or something, but it doesn't actually fix the problem and what created that in the first place, which is, I think is a bit concerning. Um, there was a, um, really well-researched, well-published um, doctor there. His name's Dr. Flavio Gagliani. He's from Brazil. I did a terrible job of um, pronouncing his surname there, but I'll pop links up online about him. Um, and interestingly enough, he was this, like, pretty jacked-up guy, you know, big muscle man, looked, you know, super fit and virile. Um, and interestingly enough, he was very, very supportive of injecting all men with testosterone, irrespective of their hormonal profile by by the sounds of it. And I'm still kind of reconciling some of that research. Um, you know, there was certainly pros to that, but I think I'm a bit too um, hormonal phobic. Do you think that's because, yeah, and because it's, they're trying to combat that excessive estrogen, environmental estrogen that most women are exposed yeah. to? Yeah, and that's theoretically I think that's what they're trying to do mm. um, and we'll talk a little bit about where that exposure comes from in a minute. However, what we also know though is that a lot of men will aromatize testosterone into estrogen. So when estrogen gets too high for men, that's what causes a lot of problems. That's what affects their mental health. That's what gives them man boobs and muffin tops um, mm. and can absolutely affect their hormonal profile that can affect, um, you know, erections and ejaculation and all sorts of things and absolutely fertility. Yeah. Um, and for men, elevated estrogen does different things to them than what it does to women. So it absolutely makes them you know, more aggressive. It's um, been shown to be the hormone that's related to, you know, violence and those sorts of things. So, you know, we usually think that the testosterone, you know, like, you know, really elevated driven guys are the ones that might be a little bit, have a shorter fuse or a higher temper, but it's actually the opposite, which is quite interesting. And it's because of how it affects that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gonadal axis. Um, so it sort of screws with things that way. So it's like, like sort of PMS on steroids for these guys. Well, yeah, actually that's a really great way to put it. Uh, so we know that if you just give men testosterone or if you just give men the precursors to um, testosterone, for example, like tribulus or something like that, there can be disastrous downstream effects of that if mm. you're not actually working on making sure that they're actually converting or maintaining that testosterone. They're not all just converting it into estrogen. So that's why I'm kind of still reconciling um, his big push to make sure that, you know, all men are on tea. Um, and he definitely was saying that, injecting is so much more um, potent than, you know, saying using patches or um, pharmaceuticals and those sorts of things. But anyway, I'm, I'm kind of fence-sitting on that right now. <laughs> no, but what a great insight into the, I guess, the general teachings and the scope of information out there. And also some little alarm bells ringing that if that's the general push and that's what, um, you know, other professionals are hearing, then they're going to be more likely and more inclined to recommend that or to make that suggestion, you know, upon consultation, which if you're not armed with information, you're just probably going to say yes, aren't you? Like that's 
Um, that sounds like it's a good idea, but we know that certainly playing with uh, any hormones is going to create downstream and upstream effects of that. And, you know, just the, the solution towards healing things like that um, imbalance in men, it's not just as simple as trying to fix erectile dysfunction. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's not so simple. So that's amazing insight just in the men's health realm because that's pretty big. That's like a, a number one issue out there so if that statistic is to oh, go by. Totally. And look, I know that we focus so much more on women's health on the podcast, but I think, you know, our poor dudes do get left behind in this, that's for sure. Um, Dr. Flavio, uh, I, I just want to say his name is Flavio. Um, Dr. Flavio also <laughs> um, is a bit of an expert when it comes to adrenal fatigue or the debunking of adrenal fatigue. So he's got many published um, reviews and articles on pretty much the fact that adrenal fatigue does not exist. Um, and so he spoke on the nature of that um, and, you know, really made it very clear that, yes, adrenal fatigue doesn't exist. And we know that. And we've done a podcast on that as well. Um, but what does exist is that dysfunctional hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And, you know, either either the over-responsive, the under-responsiveness of the adrenal glands, um, the cortisol pulsation um, or um, cortisol release, I should say, and then the downhill effects and impacts of that. So, when we have altered stress responses, we know that there is health consequences for that. Um, but I think just, you know, the point that he was really trying to make and to be up on the latest research with this is that term adrenal fatigue is very antiquated now. And there's no evidence that shows that the adrenals actually, you know, get tired or sleepy. Um, but we do know that alterations in our stress hormones can have disastrous effects. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So let's yeah. um let's jump in there. I'd love to know what uh, Dr. Sarah Gottfried was talking about because obviously let's go yeah. to the, you know like our favorite uh, presenter first. Let's find <laughs> out what she had to say about what uh, is going on in the world of women's health because you know I would say she's someone with a finger on the pulse and she's out there actively you know supporting and uh, encouraging further research. So let's uh, what did she say? Yeah, and look, we're definitely going to have her on the podcast as well. Um, at <laughs> I love that stage, confidence. We're like, yes, we're going to have her on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> and you know, I I did contact her um, pre the Congress to just see if, you know, like while she was there, if we could just duck up to my hotel room and, um, record <laughs> you made that sound so oh, romantic. So dodgy, I love it. Was, it was totally not what, not what it was supposed to be. And so, you know, I had all my recording gear and everything ready to go just in case we could do that. But her schedule certainly didn't allow for that. And, um, she's got, um, vocal cord nodes at the moment. Oh, um, so, so much speaking. Yeah. So mm. she's, um, she was speaking on two of the three days that the Congress ran over, and I think that absolutely maxed her out. But mm. uh, her team are going to organise another time for us to do that. So some of the stuff that um, Sarah was talking about was absolutely to do with um, perimenopause and menopause, um, the increased risk of breast cancer, but also the genetic or the epigenetic changes that increase your risk of breast cancer. So, for example, you know, we've all heard of... The the BRCA1 and the BRCA2 genes um, that some people are pre-exposed to, and that increases your risk of breast cancer seven to eightfold. Um, but she was also talking about that there were other, there are actually a lot of other um, genes 
that can be affected, um, but also in a positive way to dampen that risk of breast cancer. So apparently, um, particularly in the US at the moment, that all women have a lifetime risk of breast cancer of about 12.5%. Um, wow. That's... Which, is, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so she talked a lot about that and she talked about, you know, some really great strategies for um, looking after hot flushes and things like that. And a lot of it is information that we have um, given you in previous podcasts too, which is great. So it's nice to know that we are also completely all over um, a lot of the latest research when it comes to, you know, managing some hormonal concerns. Right. One of some of the things that I really loved from what she was talking about is just making sure that we are looking at the control mechanisms of the body rather than testing, you know, 200 different hormones and trying to, you know, affect each and every one of them. And it makes so much more sense and it's so much more intelligent to look at those control centers. So, for example, you know, like what we've been harping on about, about that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal gonadal axis. So making sure that those are actually working really functional and then from there what happens. Um, one thing that I do really want to talk about that she mentioned is that a quarter of women have depression at the moment. And these are US statistics, but Australia is pretty much in all things completely mirroring the US. So I think that we can use those stats to be relevant for us. And I would say that Europe and Canada would be the same um, for all of our uh, international listeners there. So a quarter of US women at the moment have depression. And interestingly enough, if they are uh, targeted with, say, antidepressants or SSRIs, in mild to moderate depression, those drugs perform worse than a placebo. Yikes, that's a now, bit concerning. Yeah. Now, look, this is not the case for severe depression. Severe depression, the SSRIs can be absolutely life-saving. So that that fact was actually really good to know. But in mild to moderate depression, SSRIs perform worse than a placebo. And lifestyle modifications have been shown to have the biggest impact. Mm. Funnily enough, that half of the women who have depression have elevated cortisol. So we know that that stress, stress response mm. is absolutely affecting their brain chemistry as well. And most of those women have serious hormonal imbalances and issues with perceived stress. Yeah, right. And that not that interesting? We often refer to that in our, uh, in our podcasts about that perception of stress being, you know, one person uh, gets a toot from someone at the traffic lights and they're like, yeah, whatever. And another person, <laughs> you know, reacts like, oh, God, what's going on? What's happening? And that's that um, almost like that calibration. We're wired to respond to certain situations according to pre-existing uh, perceptions about those situations, whether they, you know, are harmful, threatening or, or dangerous and putting us into that fight or flight response. But so many of us are so wired constantly to be in that uh that hypersensitized space and obviously that's driving that cortisol response you know round the clock um we've talked yeah. so often how that leads to you know absolute depletion in so many of our hormonal cascades leading down the pathways to adrenal fatigue situations but um yeah that's tip of the iceberg stuff isn't it so i'm going to give everyone a bit of homework i want you all to research a woman named elizabeth blackburn and she was actually a Nobel Prize winner, um, and we love that, a f you know, a female Nobel Prize winner. Um, and she won that based on her studies on telomeres. Um, so what they were actually looking at as she did this, this study over 10 years, looking at the telomere length. And remember, your, your telomeres um, 
essentially it's like your longevity um, sign. And what they wanted to look at was uh, the length of telomeres in women who have the highest levels of perceived stress. So they did a study with premenopausal women who had a um, a really sick child that was in um, you know in hospital, and I think that these children were terminal. So you would think that that would be a very acute <laughs> perceived stress in all, you know, a very acute stressed environment with these women. You think that these women would have maybe the shortest telomeres and the highest stress levels and all sorts of things. And they used a control group for the same number of women, same age um, and everything else who did not have a sick child. And interestingly enough, the difference was not in the sick child versus not sick child group but it was in how they perceived and interpreted their own stresses. And that is what underlines so many of the hormonal imbalances. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So really it shows us we've got far more control over our health responses than we sometimes take responsibility for um you know we often think that it's uh it's just our lot in life or we drew the lucky unlucky straw or you know that kind of concept that it's just happening to us but um when we start to take control and ownership of our health and well-being we can actually start to see some of the little pathways where we've actually you know, without realising, obviously, undermined um, our body's balance, really. And I think that's fascinating that the research is actually confirming what we always talk about because we see that as observation. But, you know, in in today's world of, you know, gold standard research, observation is not enough. (laughs) Um, So now we're starting to see some, some solid evidence that this is true this is exactly what's happening so that is incredible and i know you mentioned um as well you know sarah talking about the perimenopausal stages and menopause what's the biggest driver there what what um should you pick up on in regards to i guess you know what's the latest happening for women who are experiencing you know perimenopause um what is the latest happening uh well what we know and i'll get into this in a second is how messed up our hormones are from environmental causes Mm-hmm. And we're definitely going to talk about that. But um, like what we have presented in our menopause series is just addressing the stress response and cortisol first before anything else. And we know that that has such a huge impact on the perimenopausal state. Um, there was some interesting research about um, the impacts of PCOS post-menopause. Yeah. Uh, and so just knowing that because PCOS is, you know, that, endocrine metabolic disorder if you don't address that before menopause your blood glucose levels rise by about 10 points every decade so this is going to exacerbate all of your risk factors for everything else post-menopause if you don't address that pcos um so when you say everything else, what, what's that? What do you refer to that? Oh, oh, the risk. So your risk factors for obesity, um, diabetes, uh, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, um, and then you know pretty much all of your chronic disease states. Mm. And is this um, because of that? Does this tie in now with that sort of information? Because I, I know there's been a recent, um, I guess, push amongst people that I've been meeting that a lot of women are now being medicated for PCOS um, as an absolute, you know, without. Um, <laughs> when I say without discussion, it's it's almost like, well, no, if you don't deal with this now, this is, and that's the research they're using against, I guess, choice for women. I've noticed in uh, in clinical settings. 
Um, and I think what you're referring to is, uh, for example, putting women on the oral contraceptive pill to, mm-hmm. um, you know, in inverted commas, uh, fix a menstrual cycle. And yeah. look, we know that that's actually, you know, just a total load of crap. There's no amount of hormonal contraception that will regulate a cycle or that will fix um, insulin resistance. <laughs> so we also know that it actually increases your risk of developing polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah. Yep. So the opposite is true, um, but it absolutely can be managed with diet and lifestyle interventions. Um, so it, now I want to get on to something because um, we, we need to wrap up, but I want to talk a little bit about something that um, Dr. Pamela Dempsey presented on, and this was endocrine disruptors. And Yay, endocrine disruptors my favorite topic. <laughs> or, or EDCs. We'll just call yeah, them EDCs, EDCs for the purpose of this. Mm. Um, and this is, this is pretty sobering. <laughs> so just bear with me. I just want to throw some stats at you and then we'll, we'll bring it back to maybe, you know, something that you can leave with and not want to go and uh, think that all hope is lost. Um, So with the endocrine disruptors, um, we really have to question why it is that we're getting sicker and why our environment continues to get sicker as we do as well. So at the moment, there's about 1,419 known EDCs. Um, and just remember that these endocrine disruptors are chemicals in the environment or, you know, in our food or in our personal care products and plastics and those sorts of things um, that can block mimic or interact with our own hormones that may or may not have a detrimental effect. So um, these can have adverse developmental effects on our reproductive system, our neurological system, you know, our immune system, and, you know, the list goes on as well. Now, we've actually known about EDC since the 1950s, and it was actually uh, a gynecologist um, by the name of Dr. Roy Hertz who actually um, presented this potential of detrimental effects from hormones that were being given to cattle, so in the CAFO meats, so the controlled animal feeding operation meats, and the hormones that they were being pumped full of had detrimental effects to the human body. So we've known about this for a really long time, but it doesn't necessarily seem like much has been done until just recently because I think we've all been aware that just now everyone is jumping on the bandwagon of getting rid of plastic bags and straws and bottles and all sorts of things. So it's taken us a long time to catch up. But in that time, I think that there's been some things that have happened that are pretty detrimental. So um, there's this idea of what we call bioaccumulation. And it's where it's almost like a generational passing of these toxic chemicals from mother to infant. Mm. Um, And what that we saw was that there's some studies showing that 99% of pregnant women these days have multiple chemical exposures. And some of these are dating back well before um, or a long time ago. So, for example, some of these chemicals were removed in the 70s but they're still present in pregnant women now. Yeah. So it's this bioaccumulation that's happening and the environmental working group. So this is a, you know, very well-respected organization did some studies on infant cord blood, so newborn cord blood. Um, and what they found is that a hundred percent of the cord blood that they tested from these babies, so hundred percent, every single one of them had toxic chemical exposure Mm. Isn't that interesting? Because I've been having, mum was having a chat with me recently, thinking that we're being a bit over the top with um, 
protecting Oliver from the exposures, you know, in regards to our health and environment, the food choices we make. And she goes, we never did that with you, you know, like, um, and look, you guys are fine. And this kind of idea that like her generation, she keeps referring to it saying, well, I never had allergies in my generation and there's no one with peanut allergy and no one with this and no one with that. And it's really interesting. I think she has a point. It, no, she does have different. a point. Yeah, but isn't it interesting that the point is we're now starting to see cross-generational change. Yeah. So yeah. just because her generation didn't experience it, they're the ones who were collecting all of this accumulation of, you know, environmental toxins, PCBs, phthalates, dioxins. I mean, the, the list is so, so far reaching. And then, of course, we're the next generation. We bring that, you know, through and then we pass that on to our children. And I think this is, you know, what people are starting to realise is, hang on, I'm actually responsible for, you know, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren's health. Um, it's not as simple as just passing on a few genes. It's actually passing on a whole lot of biological information, including mm-hmm. toxicity. And that's really, um, you know, that's amazing because I've been, you know, on this EDCs thing for quite some time. It's why, you know, I started living low-tox because it was just this idea of like, don't people realise this? It was a frustration point, particularly when you're talking with uh, women and fertility issues, and you know. And then you just look at some of the daily habits and lifestyle choices, and you think, "This is this is insane. This can't keep happening." And yet, you've said since the fifties we've known about this. How how many years are we now? We're uh, is it fifty seventy? <laughs> Nearly seventy years. You know, like sixty eight <laughs> years on, and we still haven't awesome, made um, dramatic change, which you know, is going to protect the future generations of this planet. I just think that's, it's almost criminal, actually. (laughs) It's criminal that companies are still producing these things that um, are known to harm us. Mm, Yeah. Okay. And you're absolutely right by what you're doing, for example, like trying to protect Oliver from all sorts of things like that, because we know that the biggest impact actually comes in those critical developmental stages. Mm. So obviously fetal development and during breastfeeding, so you're still breastfeeding, so mm-hmm. really important. Yeah. And then at puberty as well. So I think that this actually has a lot to do with that precocious puberty that we're seeing. So, for example, young girls who previously, you know, would have been menstruating around 14 or 15 and now getting their period as young as eight. Um, they're getting breast tissue development and all sorts of things. So, you know, we're going to do a podcast specifically on precocious puberty because we've actually had quite a few requests for that and we will do mm. that at some other stage. But it's also a huge contributor to to childhood obesity as well. So there's a study published, uh, where is it, um, by Kim et al. Um, in the Pediatric uh, Endocrinology and um, Metabolism Journal in December 2017. So this is six months ago. So this is the latest research showing that um, the endocrine-disrupting chemicals are known obesinogens. Mm. So we know this. It is absolutely blocking and interfering with how our body functions and how our metabolism functions as well. Um, there, was, there was a really interesting case of a 15-year-old boy that Dr. Pamela presented as well who um, kind of had delayed stunted growth and a whole bunch of other things, and they tested his um, epigenetics and they tested his chemical exposure. And it was just off the charts. For a 15-year-old, you know, typical you know, US kid who, you know, was on the standard American diet, which wouldn't have helped either. But by just making some lifestyle modifications and addressing some of that epigenetic expression to reduce the exposure to certain things, you know, the changes were pretty profound. Um, So, you know, the other sobering thing is that we know that it increases cancer risk because it interferes with our hormonal functioning. 
Um, but the other thing that's quite interesting is that, for example, for menopausal women who are getting no benefit from, say, hormone replacement therapy, it can be because their chemical exposure has been so much that it's actually interfering with the receptivity of their system to those other chemicals. Mm. So. I know that this is all fairly um no, it's, fairly, it's great. Fairly and but, but how great is that? It's reinforcing all the things that uh, you know we endorse and promote and all the conversations we have on on this show and I mean how, how fantastic is that that it's we're totally on on track there in regards to the latest research and I think you know as you listeners uh, can take away from this when you listen to the things we're talking about you know that uh, the latest out there is what we're talking about. So yeah. it can be sobering at times but you know we don't leave you you know down and out we're always going to lift you up on the end and give you some basic principles by which you can live and and make small changes um andrew did they give you some like i guess reference to what changes they would expect patients to be making because i know for me first up first thing i say is like start changing personal care products you know start with eliminating toxins you put on the body and in the body so watch your foods and watch the cleaners in your homes and you know get rid of the nasty um synthetic fragrances that come in you know the most common shampoo poo and um exactly. body lotions like go just first go there start there if nowhere else and then i'm like and then ditch the microwave <laughs> you know don't use plastics um and the t- teflon and the non- toss the teflon yeah. damn straight um uh, so you know starting <laughs> your teflon I like that. <laughs> start, starting in your home environment because we can get pretty i know me personally i can get pretty um pretty worked up when i think about the exposure of the environment around me like for example our council goes out the front of the footpaths and still sprays um uh the you know some of the most harmful yeah glyphosate some of the most harmful poison on the planet on my front footpath where of course i walk you know my family walks and as does everyone else in this community and that rages me because we know it's dangerous and i would never have it anywhere near my home but i don't have a choice because they've gone and sprayed the footpath and that peeves me off so rather than getting um worked up and, and i guess despondent about what you can't change make sure you focus on what you have control of and what you can actually change and that starts with your home your life your environment your choice of personal care products your choice of things you buy and eat and, and that's i think i think so that bad. the point ash absolutely and yeah. you know what they they didn't go into extensive detail about you know action steps or anything like that because i think that they assumed that we knew that um but it was a good reminder for me as well because, you know, sometimes we get a little bit lax with drinking out of plastic water bottles. Sometimes it's just a necessity mm. when you're traveling and those sorts of things. And, you know, maybe, um, for example, my makeup, some of it isn't completely chemical free. So I think it was just a good reminder uh, that I'm going to just upgrade, you know, some of that programming. But I think start with the basics, with your food choices, um, making sure that you're not having any plastics. There is no plastic product that does not contain BPAs. Um, going, you know, chemical free with your personal care products, like what you were talking about, Ash. Um, I really love this idea of upgrading your gut health as well, which, you know, remember that is your detoxification pathways as well and updating, making sure that you've got excellent detox pathways. Um, there's a detox that I put a lot of my um, female patients through that, and they do so, so well on it. And I think that part of it is because they're reducing some of that chemical burden. Mm. You know, I think that that is really a big part of that. Um, and you can also absolutely test your exposure to these things. Um, and you can test your, you can do some epigenetic testing as well, which I think is really interesting. I might post some links on that of that online, um, and we will absolutely post some resources 
about these chemical exposures, where they come from, and swaps and things that that you can do to mitigate that as well. Um, okay, so that's the EDCs. There's, uh, I'm not going to go into detail about this now because I am still devouring the research. So I literally have like 1,500 research papers to read now. Um, but luckily enough, that's you know I kind of love doing that because I'm a bit of a nerd. But uh, there was some really interesting information that came out, particularly regarding endometriosis um, and you know really heavy painful periods and the immune response that is associated with that. So mm-hmm. You know, they've found that menstrual tissue is really rich in microbial tissue and inflammatory tissue as well. So what I'm just working through in my head is that, is there a big part of this that we've missed? And that is the immune system response to say endometriosis or hormonal changes. And what can we actually do to impact that? So we're going to do a podcast on that um, once you know, I've put this all together um, and we can go through that. So ladies, that's just a little touch of some of the latest info that's out there in the world of, um, you know, natural medicine at the moment and functional endocrinology. So I hope that that's given you a little bit of an upgrade of your current understanding of certain things. Um, Like I said, we will post all of those links online, um, but ladies, make sure you let us know if you've got any questions about any of this material at all, post it on Facebook for us. So facebook.com forward slash the wellness women, Dr. Ash and I, both have our personal pages on there as well. So Dr. Ashley Bond or mine is just at the period whisperer and we're on Instagram. So uh, the wellness women official, and please make sure you send us through um, any questions or podcast requests um, or, you know, questions that you might want if you want to be in the spotlight as well. And we can uh, name you on our show. Uh, ladies, we would love for you to be subscribing to us on iTunes or whatever it is, uh, whatever platform that you use and give us a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. Cause we love that. And that is really how we get to spread this message of natural health for other women as well. All right, ladies, until next week, be well. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. What is the ramifications for you if you continue to not know where your food is coming from and not make a hard stand about what you're consuming? Back in 1992, I didn't know how to cook. In fact, I ate really poorly as many of you know. But I now love it so much that when I go to prepare something, it becomes magical. Don't want you to be stuck in the the crap that's happening. Know it, yes. Be aware of it, yes. But bring your vibration up so that we can vibrate at a higher level and collectively, we might be able to bring everybody up to make those changes. I love preparing it. I know that everyone who's eating it absolutely loves it. Even the bits that they don't want to eat, they love eating them because I love making them. Does that make sense? Cindy O'Meara and Damien Christoph feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.